Welcome to the Creative Minds Podcast with me, Callum Hughes. Something for your mind. So, good evening everyone. As always, I hope you're all keeping safe and sound with everything that's still going on at the moment. In this next episode of Creative Minds presented by myself, Callum Hughes, I'm joined by the extremely talented singer and songwriter, Liz Cass, an artist whose personal favourite of mine and I'm sure this goes for many of you who are listening too. Liz is a London-based singer and songwriter who is known for her melancholic sultry tones and emotive style of writing and she cut her teeth on the London jazz scene and began penning songs in her teens. Before changing the direction and style of her career more recently which we will discuss further later Liz has experienced great success on the dance music scene from roughly 2012 onwards, lending her unique vocals and talent to globally recognised imprints including Defected and Juna Deep and has collaborated with industry heavyweights such as Hot Since 82, Left Wing and Cody, Ali Love from Hot Natured and Janssen's. So I'm just going to invite Liz in now. Hello. How are you? I'm good. All good. Yeah, showing off my Christmas tree. <laughs> it's better. It's better than mine anyway. I think I've got a plant from TK Maxx in the corner. I'm uh, your typical. Can you, about the, can you see the stain on the ceiling? Oh, I didn't. The machine in the flat above leaked into mine, so I haven't sorted it yet. It's kind of ruining the aesthetic. Oh, I hadn't noticed it, but now you pointed it out, I'm just going to spend the entire episode just staring at the stain on the ceiling instead. So. <laughs> That's better. Just do, just do that for the full hour. It won't matter. There you go. That's better. My arm's going to get tired. <laughs> so, h- how are you anyway? It's the first time we've met virtually, so this is a very 20, 20, very 2020 style of introduction. It's like that with so many people these days. It's weird. I mean, it's like that anyway, but it's even more so this year because no one can see each other. So. Yeah. <clears throat> so, how, how are you keeping, first of all, with everything that's been going on this year? really helped um things kind of slowed down towards the end of the year and that's when I start to get a bit like what do I do with myself um and you know obviously there's no gigs and stuff and I DJ as well so it's quite weird this time of year not not doing all of that stuff but um I mean I'm staying sane it's just been a bit more crap lately than it has earlier in the year so yeah I just I'm ready for next year I just want to get stuck in really yeah definitely so I know that you've had two single releases this year and then you've had your collaborative stuff as well. Um, so what, what material have you been working on behind the scenes? Have you, have you still been writing much with everything that's going on this year? Yeah, it's, I mean, more so than ever because obviously there's been nothing else to do, but I guess as well with everything going on, that's provided another element of sort of inspiration and, you know, deep thinking and yeah. And I guess I've, you know, channeled a lot of that into the music too and I've been really lucky that not only with, you know, my solo stuff, I've been 
really working hard on that this year but I got sent so much stuff in lockdown and that kept me really busy and that was really nice to have that in fact I think I would have gone a bit mad without it um but it's funny I know it it almost feels bad to sort of talk about really positive amazing things happening this year because obviously it it has also been shit yeah Um, and it's been really difficult for a lot of people but I think it's also quite important to kind of cling on to those positive things yeah you know, it keeps you going and and I you know I have to say I have been really lucky this year and a lot of amazing stuff's happened that I wasn't expecting um and I'm just really grateful for that so I, it's like I I've lost track I've probably written like I don't know 60 70 songs this year it's, not it's bad going considering yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's good I managed to like set up my little kind of home studio vibe before sort of upgraded some of my stuff and so I was kind of ready even though I didn't know what was coming yeah <laughs> I was ready to lock myself away and just write music it, that's exactly the same as what um, Mav Janssen said when I had him on one of the earlier podcasts he said that yeah. with his studios not too far away from where he lives and his other half was having a go at him because he was bringing all of his hardware back and setting it up in the kitchen. I recorded his entire studio. I was like, I wonder what Luke's going to think about Oh, it's funny. But no, I think you've got a pretty similar mindset to me in terms of this year, even though you've achieved a lot. You kind of, I wouldn't say necessarily guilt trip yourself, but because of everything that's going on, it, it puts you in it not in a difficult position because you should still be proud and be able to publicly you know shout about your achievements but you you take a step back and you think oh I don't know how to quite word this because of everything that's going yeah, on and so many people are suffering um I mean I think if you if you always have I mean I'm a really positive person I, I do I do get low I do struggle with low mood um and a lot of that sort of falls into my music but but generally I'm always like a cut half full kind of gal and you know so even when things are crap I'll be looking for the good stuff in it and that's that's what kind of you know keeps me balanced you know I'm never sort of you know looking for the for the dark side of stuff I'm you know tend to try and you know keep positive about stuff yeah you mean wouldn't keep going but yeah it is hard to cut you know especially when you see people around you having a really rough time and things might be going quite well for you and it's just you know you want to celebrate that because you work really hard but you also want to be mindful of you know what other people are going through yeah Um, no definitely it was it was quite funny in terms of achievements with recently the, the 2020 wrapped you saw so many people who were up and coming and it was there seemed to be a lot of bitterness around people celebrating their achievements with you know their end of year stats how many streams they've had how many countries but the funny thing is like as someone who who manages up and coming artists i'm trying to tell people with the lack of royalties that artists actually receive it's probably the main thing you can cling on to because of how unfair the distribution is between royalties i think fair play to to anyone who's really pushing themselves and, and utilising the likes of Spotify and really executing a good promo strategy, you know, you, you should celebrate your um, your streams. I think that also, because I've seen a bit of that on socials as well, and I, I do get it, because it, it is kind of ironic to be celebrating 
celebrating something when we all know that you know it is not a fair yeah um, allocation of uh, royalties to artists especially more up-and-coming artists but at the same time i think a, a lot of people especially if, if you're not in the music industry so much time effort prep you know, heart and soul goes into this music that's being created. And that's yeah. just the creation of it. Then actually getting it out into the world and trying to give it its best shot, especially if you're self-releasing. Um, you know, and, and as, if you've been on like a long journey as well, it might be that you've suddenly um, broken through in a way and you want to celebrate that. But for me, it's more, and I, and I always say this, it, you're, you're on your own journey you're not competing with anyone else. Yeah. You can't compare any one artist with another one. And it's really important to, if you want to compete, you compete with yourself. I mean, yeah. last year I had, you know, I was just getting back into music after a big break. And I had, I think, 8,000 listeners and 40,000 streams. And for me, going from 40,000 streams to over 2 million in a year is a massive achievement for myself. Yeah. So I want to celebrate that. And I also want to say thank you to anyone that's been on that journey with me and helped me or lifted me up or collaborate, collaborated with me. Um, and so for me, that's more what it's about, celebrating. Yeah. I actually saw some really funny memes about it, though. I love it when people take the piss and they do something <laughs> funny. I don't like it when people bitch about it because that's just negative. But there have been some really funny ones yeah. um, I've seen. Um, I've I've seen I've seen a couple of the, the the political ones around Boris Johnson saying we've had to listen to your shit for the entire twenty twenty. So I'm I'm trying to think which are the ones I've I think I've seen one or two peep show ones. You can't beat a good peep show meme, to be yeah. fair. Yeah. But I think yeah. there's a good chance that probably a hundred thousand of those streams are probably from me listening to uh, Ordinary Love or probably the the new one with Daily on repeat as well. Love At least it shows how versatile you are as well, rather than just pigeonholing yourself to one kind of style. It, I suppose it's probably quite refreshing for you as well, rather than just sticking to the same thing, yeah. sw- uh, switching it up a bit as well. Yeah. But um, I, I was exactly the same as you, just reverting back to what you were saying around, around Spotify. And it, there is pros and cons to it because there's a lot of up-and-coming artists, especially in, in the world of social media and the fact that, sadly... The music industry has become more of a numbers game, which is yeah. not really what it should be about. Like if your music has touched even ten people, and it, you know that song could have changed the way someone okay. thinks. It, it could have like saved one person. Yeah. Seriously, that's how powerful music is. It yeah, is definitely. It is just about that impact on any particular person. Yeah, but I said exactly the same as you. Uh, I can't remember if I did it as, as an Instagram post or Facebook. But the only person, like you say, you should be competing with is is yourself because yeah. th- there's a lot of artists who I've been lucky enough to meet or have on the podcast who 
you know, they've been producing or singing or songwriting since they were like early teens, and most of them didn't break through until they were, if they're lucky, late 20s, early 30s. Whereas I meet a lot of artists now who are like 23, 24, and they're really putting themselves down saying, oh, I can't believe I haven't broken through yet. And I'm just thinking, that's one of my friends, by the way. I'm not going to get distracted by the comment about my hoodie. <laughs> I mean, you know, for me, you know, I gave up music. I gave up music for several years. I completely lost the love, um, lost my confidence. I went through quite a rough time. And, and I honestly thought that was, that was it. Um, then I kind of got to a point where I was very much, I can't be without music. I, yeah. I, you know, I got depressed and I didn't feel right and I, I needed to have music. Um, and it was, but it was only in 2018 that I actually pick it, picked it back up. Um, it's quite funny, actually. I, I, I logged into my SoundCloud after three years of not opening it and there were like four messages from Camel Fat from like three years ago asking me to top line for them. And I was like, oh shit, that's those cola guys. <laughs> and I wrote back like several messages, nothing. And luckily I, I knew someone that knew them, so I got her to email them and then they sent me some stuff to write to. I was really apologetic. Um, but, you know, I, I, I wrote quite a few ideas for them and nothing stuck, but they were really um, encouraging. And that kind of gave me the confidence to get back into it. I was like, well, maybe I could do this again. So I, you know, my background in general, as I told you, isn't actually in house music. It's quite a new thing to me, sort of, you know, 10 years ago. But um, I saw that as like a way back in to trying to get back into the music industry and start writing. Um, and so I just, I just started kind of networking, handing DJs backstage, asking if they needed top lines. I was just, I was just like, sod it, like, yeah. just give it a go. And Gradually, I sort of built up more contacts, and then the more stuff I started doing, then people would start contacting me. And that's, you know, I, I had totally given up on it. And I'll tell you that, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years now. I moved to London 18 years ago to mm. be a singer. Um, and I grafted for a long time, and I was a live jazz singer for like 10 years. And, you know, it's, it's only now that, you know, I feel like I've really found my voice, especially with writing my own stuff. Um, and that's, that's really only happened this year, getting the confidence with writing my stuff. I've been working with this guy, Ed Graves, for a year, and he's really kind of developed me and helped me kind of find my voice, and we write together, and he's produced my whole album. So, you know, the message is, you know, it's not always instant. It can, it can take years. <laughs> But if you really, if you really believe in it and you graft, and if you can't live without it and you need the music to survive, then keep at it. And I, and I think it can happen for anyone, you know, if you know, if they really, really believe. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I mean, I'll thank you personally for for getting that message across because I think in these times where some people will take inspiration from the the current situation and environment, and some people will be really struggling, but the good thing is it looks like next year will be a lot more positive, but I think definitely even for the foreseeable future, you know, anyone, doesn't matter if you're young or maybe if you, even if you're a bit older, if you're that passionate about it and you've, you've got the talent is just, I think just kind of developing that mindset and accepting that it's going to take years will actually help you enjoy the process a lot more because I was exactly the same. Message, enjoy the process. Yeah. Be, be in the now. Don't don't 
recently as well. I was always looking ahead, never enjoying it at the time. You know, enjoy the journey. Yeah, I, I think um, without reiterating the point too much, um, I don't know. I mean, I suspect we've all fallen victim to it at some stage. It is the world of social media, isn't it? As soon as you achieve one thing, because you look at what everyone else is doing, you feel like, no, I, I need to forget about what I've done there. I need to do the next yeah. thing and the next thing. And that's something that I learned from from the start of the first lockdown. When, you, when you're forced to slow down a lot more, you take a yeah. step back and you think, Christ, the amount of things I haven't really patted myself on the back for, sat down and you know, even had like a nice meal and celebrated it properly, you just think, no, I'm done with that, move on to the next thing. So it's definitely something um, that I've learned and hopefully anyone listening can can take away I, as well. I think it, you know, sometimes I just like, just inside I have like, if, if I start working on a project for a certain person that I've wanted to work with, I'll celebrate inside. I know they might not take the top line. It might never get released, but you've, you've just got to celebrate those little milestones along the way because that's what keeps you positive, um, you know, and, you know, maybe you'll never get there, but you've had a, a wicked sort of journey, like giving it your best shot. Yeah, definitely. I think that that's part of it as well is just having the guts to at least try and do it because... For me personally, it was it was a it was a couple of years ago, and I was I felt like I was in a very dead end job, and I was just living in you know quite a small town. The, the the way that people were living life was very predictable. It was kind of like you know you'll go to school, you go to uni, you yeah. you you get a generic nine to five job, which to be honest, I actually still do now, but obviously I do all the music stuff on the side. We've all side hustles. Yeah, of of course, but like you say just in terms of actually just giving it a shot at least you can look back later on in life and think you know what I might not have been yeah. the, the the very top in the world but at least I can look back and know that I actually did give it a shot yeah that is and that's how I really felt getting back into music in the last few years I sort of said to myself you know it, could I look back in years to come knowing that I, I hadn't given it that extra push and and given it another try and I, I knew that I'd really regret that. Um, and, you know, I, I'm glad that I picked it back up. It was quite a risk for me, especially, you know, I've got two little ones. I'm a single mama and, you know, I was, I was in a good job working for my family business um, and my family gave me some great opportunities. Um, but I think they knew as well, obviously, that I, I couldn't put this down. Mm. And in the end, I had to make a choice and I kind of took a leap of faith. Um, and you know, I still have no idea if that's going to really pay off. But all I can say is that in the now, I'm loving what I'm doing. Um, you know, I've still got my side hustles going on. Um, you know, to keep afloat like everyone, and a lot of that was the, the gigging and the DJing. So that I, you know, I think. Um, sorry, my battery thing. I forgot to charge my phone. Plug it in a minute. Um, but um, yeah, I. I'm glad that whatever happens, I've given it another try. So, you know, we'll see where it goes, but... Yeah, I, I, I'm exactly the same as you once again there. In terms of your own happiness, like if, if I knew that for the, for the rest of my life, I was just going to do the same nine-to-five role, that's not what would make me happy for the rest of my life. Whereas, I know, for, for the next few years, you know, yourself me a fair few other people out there the reality is you've still got bills to pay you might still have to do the odd job that you don't like doing but if you can have if you can have that passion project on the side 
that will make you so much more happier um, rather than literally just doing a job day in, day out that you hate and then you get home or you finish and you log off and then that's it. Um, but yeah, so just before we go back to when you were growing up and, and the start of your career, um, I just wanted to say congratulations on, on hitting the 1 million streams with uh, Daily um, on the new album. That- <laughs> no, no, no. I'm sure. I'm sure that was all your work, not not his. So that was Eye of the Storm, wasn't it? Was that the million yeah, streams? Yeah. The, the, yeah. That we we wrote that pretty much during like the start of lockdown. Mm. And I never thought that that would be one that he would choose as, as like the lead single for the album because obviously it's quite dark and more subdued than you know his usual bangers. <laughs> But I think we both felt it was quite sort of poignant with everything that's going on, and it, it kind of felt right that you know it was it was a really nice surprise that one. Um, it's, you know, it's quite deep and, and dark, um, but also you know quite appropriate for the times. Yeah, I think to be honest as well, that shows both your talent and his combined. The fact that it was so fitting for the time that it was released because you, you could have gone down the generic route of let's make a banger, but it wouldn't probably really have been suitable yeah. for the time. I mean, it, there's, there's no harm in still releasing energetic, uplifting music yeah. because, yeah, in, in a way, yeah, you know, no, no one wants to listen to depressing music for the whole of lockdown. It wouldn't make any sense. But, but in terms of that particular track because it was much more emotive and like you say it was it was very poignant I think probably from from both of you and obviously maybe more so because it's his album it was probably a good decision in a way to have that as as the lead track for the time that it was released yeah I yeah I think that's good for me anyway but I'm really glad it's, it's been really nice working daily this year and you know we've written a lot together um you know, over over the year since sort of February, um, a couple that ended up in the album, that, and then a couple more that will probably be out sometime next year, which are like bigger, deeper, darker banger types. But um, but a lot of that sort of kept me sane. Like a lot of the music I got sent in lockdown by people like Daily, it was just it was really nice and exciting to be working on stuff like that. So it balanced out everything else really. Yeah. So I just wanted to kind of combine two points and and go back to the point you were making around networking and and hustling backstage and you know trying to connect with with certain artists and and the importance of that which I know is pretty much non-existent at the moment because there's no gigs even down the local pub never mind a festival or a big nightclub but was that how the working relationship with Daily came about how did that relationship come about? No, that one actually was, um, he, he asked uh, Mav Janssens um, if he knew any singers. And obviously Mav and I had just done um, Less Ordinary together. Um, well, it wasn't out yet, but we, we'd done that and that was um, coming out in March. And, and so thank you very much, Mav. <laughs> he suggested me. Um, I just woke up to a WhatsApp on a Saturday morning um, from Daily saying, hi, it's Daily, hot sensation two in brackets. Um, would it, sorry, my phone's falling. Would it be all right if I send you um, some demos? I was like, yeah. <laughs> no, sorry, I'm too, I'm too busy, Daily, not today. <laughs> yeah, I'm busy. Um, and then we kind of got into like, 
chats about I don't know Star Wars and cooking and all sorts. He's he's very funny. He's very cheeky and funny. Um, but it's really nice working with him because it, well, it's different with everyone you work with. But it's quite rare to work with someone where they don't just want to send you a track, you bang out a top line, send it back. He's very interested in what you what you think, and you know he's like, oh, I've just added this new arc in. What do you think? You know, do you think that works, or should we? Um, what do you think about the baseline? So it's it's really very much a collaborative effort with him, and it's it's fun working with him, and he's super humble. You know, he's probably one of my favourite people to work with. Now. Yeah. Um, I said I'm your pipes, and you're not getting rid of me. He's <laughs> 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 sending me new stuff. Um, but yeah, it's um, that was just a, a nice um, little intro from Mav, which you know I'm super grateful for. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mav's another guest that um, I had on, but I haven't met. But I've spoken to him a fair few times, and uh, he, he's an amazing guy. He's not just a talented producer. He's just amazing. yeah, he's just su- yeah, such such a nice guy. Enough. Yeah, he's so talented. I think he's um, finally getting the recognition. Same as you, really. I think finally getting the recognition at a higher level. That's deserved and should be should be there i think danny howard's his biggest fan (laughs) yeah i did i did notice to be honest with a lot of the the friday fires or tracks that are featured uh mab's definitely one of his uh golden boys isn't he on radio one i mean mab just like consistently puts out really good music um you know i don't think i've ever not liked anything that he puts out yeah. We're working on some new stuff, actually. He did that um, sort of synthwave remix for Bad Love for me in the summer, um, which I was also really grateful because that got the, me my first BBC Six play because um, he did such an amazing job on that. So we, we're kind of working on some more stuff like that vibe, that sort of synthwave vibe, um, which will sort of continue in the new year. But, yeah, he's, he's definitely one to watch. Yeah. So I know that you said Mav recommended you to daily how did you meet mav a lot and, and those kind of artists i suppose um um killing yeah. two birds with one stone and, and uh kind of amalgamating all the artists that you've worked with whether that's left wing and cody or mav how, how did you meet those guys as well left wing left wing cody sent me some tracks a couple of years ago and i can't remember how that came about but Again, it was one of those things I wrote some ideas and nothing really stuck. And then suddenly, two years later, I heard from John at the start of lockdown. He sent me some, some stuff. Um, that's how that track came about. Mab, I actually met backstage at one of Richie's 432 gigs in London. Yeah. Um, and we were chatting. Um, and I think he was with Sens Bala. Um and yeah, we, we said, yeah, we should get in the studio. And it took a while for us to get in the studio, but we actually started a different track, which we still haven't finished, which I keep bugging him about because it's really cool. Um, and then Less Ordinary was one we did when we got back in the studio together. Um, and that sat for quite a while um, before we sort of finished it and did anything with it. Um, and yeah and then obviously i mean it was the dream to get it signed to classic that's a really cool label yeah um so that was nice and um it was again it was one of those tracks it's not something i would usually do we were just kind of um 
we were jamming in the studio and he had all the, you know, the eights, eight or eights going and, you know, three or threes. And I just started kind of singing, like almost speaking and this kind of cheeky thing over the top. Not not necessarily something serious that I thought would end up on the record, but he was like, that's cool, let's go with that. Um, and then I just got on the mic straight away and we just kind of developed it into what it was. I think it was... It was the time when I was being a bit naughty and being late for work because I was out DJing the night before and it was always that, oh God, how am I going to cope with Monday? You know, <laughs> that sort of Monday's always going to hurt because you really <laughs> hard at the weekend. Yeah, that and resonates with me, definitely. No, that that um, Monday's always going to hurt. That definitely resonates with me. I've definitely sat there on a, on a Monday working from home with my head in my hands. But at least that's one thing I've probably been a bit more grateful for and felt uh, it's been fortunate being able to work work from home when I'm uh, hanging out my ass on a Monday or Tuesday this year. Definitely. But yeah, w- once again to reiterate. Um, the, the point that you're making there, and, it, and it's something that I really try and drive and push as a message in normal times to people, whether you're a you're a DJ, you're a producer, singer or songwriter, is you know you, you made the effort there to go to um, 432, um, you know, to, to to connect on a physical face-to-face basis with the likes of Mav. <laughs> well, exactly. That's that's one thing. I mean, I always try and use the excuse whenever my parents say to me, are oh, you coming home this week? And I say, oh, I've got a networking event at, a, at an event. But it's just basically me going to get fucked in an event. <laughs> and, then, and then I end up meeting someone. At least I've got an email as proof. It was for networking, definitely. But um, yeah. it is, I mean, it, it's, it's a bonus really, isn't it? Because you can have fun, but at the same time, you're actually, you know, building a relationship with, with someone yeah. at the same time. Yeah, no, it's, I mean, I... I don't think I ever really go to anything and don't make some kind of connection. It's like, you know, I've been, I have this alias Pablo Rita with my friend Annabelle Simpson. It's our DJ project, but we both sing, obviously. And um, I made a lot of connections at ADE last year, like with um, with Bontan. We've ended up doing stuff with him this year and we got Friday Fire with one of the tracks with him. So again, it's like, you know, I think we were backstage at Paradise, like chatting at the bar, um and um and you know and then I'm I'm always very good at following up things yeah I bugging people constantly. <laughs> um but it's you know it's funny it all kind of like ends up back to front because you know I've always just been bugging people to work with me or send me music people I want to work with and then after tracks like Less Ordinary then obviously that opens things up and then you start to get flooded with people asking you um, which has been great for this year because it's just meant that I've been writing so much. Um, but I'm also like I find it really hard to say no to people as well. Um, and sometimes I sort of take a bit too much on. Yeah. Um, but I'm, that's what I'm trying to really now focus on my my own project. Apart from like a few things that come in that are really special for me, or um, you know, I'm trying to kind of separate um, you know the dance music sort of move that over to Pablo Rita and, and just release under that name. Yeah. Is, is, is that going to be like a... Sorry, when you say Pablo Rita, is that, is, is that going to be like an alias, is it, from Liz Castor? It's, it's the name of my DJ duo. Oh, uh, right, okay. So we we were just DJing under that name and then we start... Because she sings as well, so then we started top-lining 
together mm-hmm. under that name. And then I started releasing under it this year. Um, so we've had releases with Martin Bader and Bontan. We just had um, a track on Crosstown Rebels um, with James nice. Morgan that, with a really cool Dennis Cruz remix. So it's very much more like the solid kind of dance stuff, the kind of stuff that we would play out when we're DJing. Um, and then I kind of kept the more progressive stuff under my name. Um, but I'll be doing less and less of, of the dance stuff under my name going forwards. But it's nice to have an alias where you can, where you can keep that going so I can still indulge that, um, which is nice. And we've got quite a lot, a lot lined up for next year already under, under that name with releases. So um, it gives me the space to focus on the Liz Cass stuff as well. That, that's good. So just before we move on, in, in terms of your collaboration so far, what, what advice would you give to anyone who's talented, up and coming, um, especially vocalists who are looking to collaborate with artists of, of this calibre? Well, I mean, it doesn't always, like I said, it doesn't always just start off like that. You know, I've been top lining for 10 years um on these these kind of tracks um i started off working with an insanely talented guy called john monkman and all his stuff's kind of taking off and that's why he's doing a lot with pete tong um but um to begin with you don't need necessarily a, a a big name producer you just need to find a good producer um there are lots of insanely talented up-and-coming guys that you can <clears throat> quite easily use platforms like Instagram to contact. I mean, I've contacted loads of people on Instagram um, to work with, and quite a few collaborations have come up that way. Um, so I think it's just more about, obviously it's difficult to network and stuff, you know, when there aren't gigs and there aren't events going on. Um, so you've just got to try and be a little bit clever about, you know, how you go about doing that using platforms like Instagram to, you know, message people, yeah. offer to send them vocals, you know, there, there's a, a lot of opportunity out there if you're willing to go and like try and get it. you just got to be really confident in yourself. And that's something I didn't have years ago. It's only in the last few years that I've, that I've done that. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind me asking, because that, that's one thing that people say to me is, uh, this is not me being big-headed because I don't always consider myself to be a confident person, but people say to me, oh, in, in terms of me networking, I always come across as as very confident, whereas I know a lot of people out there, um, whether they're like DJs, producers or vocalists, that are really talented, but they they struggle with that confidence element to, to maybe go, especially the, the face-to-face networking. Obviously, without me being too intrusive, what did you find helped for you? I know that different things will work for different people in terms of how you build your own confidence as an individual and, and, and you grow as, as well. But what did you find worked for you in terms of putting yourself out of your comfort zone and just really, you know, pushing yourself out a little bit further and building your confidence? Well, it, I guess it was more from the music side because it was, it was back when I had less confidence in my talent and my music that I wasn't as ballsy going, you know, going out and trying grabbing what I wanted so I think once you get really solid with your talent or your skill and and you make sure that you you feel like you know you're you're good and you know you're ready to go and get stuck in I think once you have that confidence in your craft you're ready to just go out and 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 say so and say hey you know I'm I'm a singer I'm a songwriter 
you know, I like your stuff, I'd love to work with you, I'd love to offer some top lines, you know. So I think the first place to, to really get solid in yourself is with is with what you're basically trying to sell to people. Yeah. You've got to have the confidence in that, you know. And I, I think, I mean, I, I have always been quite a confident person. I've been performing since I was really young. But I, I think if you struggle with that side, I think once you get really solid with, with that, I think you'll have the confidence to go and shout about it. Yeah, it's definitely. Not about being big-headed. It's just about having confidence in yourself and, and your ability. No, of course, that, that that's a great point there. And th- that's the main thing as well, is actually honing your craft first. And like you say, it, it's not going to happen immediately. It might take, realistically, a couple of years before you can sit there and say, you know what, that sounds good. And, and normally you'll find that other people will say, wow, that actually sounds really good. And, you know, I know that you don't always need validation and acceptance of everybody else, but there's normally a decent sign there if a lot of other people are telling you that it's good and you should be developing it further. Not, you shouldn't focus on it too much, but I think we'd, anyone would be lying if they said that that kind of stuff doesn't really spur them on. I know it has for me when yeah, I get myself and you get that validation from other people, whether it's artists or people listening to your music, it, it helps sort of spur you on. So, you know, to get that, you've got to just get involved and do it and, you know, start working with anyone whose music that you like and respect. Yeah. Um, I think that th- that's a big thing as well, what you were saying before around um, reaching out to people, even um, on social media at the moment, because you know, your likes of Daily are normally touring the world and in different continents, whereas now, you know, he he's at home, a lot of time is spent in the studio, so naturally artists who normally would be very hard to get a hold of because of time zone to time zone and maybe not on their phone as, as much and finding it difficult to catch up will have that time. But even, um, I'm sure you'd probably agree, what I try to tell people is, if you've got an artist, for instance, like Daly, whose social media following is massive, like his inbox, I would dread to even think what his inbox looks like, even on Instagram. But even if you take a couple of hours to trawl through social media and think, who is that artist associated with? So say, you know, Janssen's is probably easier to get hold of than Daly. But if you put two and two together, you know that they, you know, they, they know each other, that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, I, I've definitely been very strategic over the last couple of years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you have to be strategic, don't you, in, in terms of how you approach people. I mean, sometimes, yeah, on the off chance, you might catch that person who would normally be very hard to get hold of. But if you can work out, you know, who's their manager, who's their agent, who's yeah. an artist that they collaborate with, who's probably a little bit easier to get hold of. And like you say, if you're that confident in your ability... Um, it's like you say. It's not about using people. It's about being strategic. You know, you you've got to you've got to be strategic if you want to get it. It's never about using people when you're offering up like a service. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you're confident in. Yeah. Um, and to be honest, in this industry, everybody's climbing to the top. Everyone's trying to get where they want to get. Yeah, of course. You know, everyone's got a list of people they want to work with. I've still got a list of like so many people I want to work with, and I'm I'm pushing to get there and, and work with those people, um, you know, so you, you've just got to get your foot in the door somehow and mm. you've got to like start getting music out and build up a reputation. Um, and the only way to do that is, is to, is to get stuck in really. Yeah, and definitely. It's not by just like thinking, Oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try and slide into Camelfat's DMs. Um, cause, <laughs> you know, but, um, but you know, you'll get there. 
yeah and 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 to be honest that that was kind of exactly what i was uh trying to say there and you cemented it perfectly was you know don't think that you're you're using anyone because like you say technically you're the one that's offering a service it's not like it's um you you give it to me and you're not giving anything back you know it's um it's, it's all give and take so in in 2020 you've still managed to release tracks including chaos and bad love which i know you know that's the main part we really wanted to focus on was the shift away from dance music so with these written a while back and if you don't mind me asking what was the inspiration behind writing these songs as well well kind of like a toxic love um situation which i'm really happy um to <laughs> moved on from um i mean a lot of my music is inspired by that kind of stuff but um they both of those were written quite close together last year bad love was written with ali love and um chaos was written with ed graves and i just kind of started writing with um both of them around that time i'd actually written with ali earlier in the year but we were just kind of making you know dance tunes you know for fun um and then um i asked him if he'd be interested in writing for my solo project because i knew that he did a lot of stuff that wasn't just dance um Mm. and he's a good guitarist and bass player and it took quite a few months to pin him down um but bad love felt right to be like the first release um to kind of really solidly move away from that dance music sound i mean my music now has moved on so much from that so i've just finished writing a 12-track album um and it's um it's for me it's where i want to be with my sound now it's quite different from bad love and and chaos but those were kind of like good stepping stones to to sort of try self-releasing and getting some of my own stuff out there um and it's a real graft like self-releasing and and trying to get your music heard and break through especially when you're always kind of fighting with yourself as well because you're you know you've got these collaborations that are getting all the attention you're trying to like get your own stuff through but it just takes time and it, it's a process um and it's just you know trying to reach a few people with that um but it felt good to start getting some of my own stuff out yeah no that, that that's good anyway and uh, obviously we won't go into detail but i'm sorry to hear that the inspiration behind your music came from a very difficult situation <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely, yeah. I mean, that's just life, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's true. At least that's the best way to stick two fingers up to someone is say, well, this might have happened, but I've got an album out of it, so... <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> so, in terms of like how you go about like writing your songs... Do, because of 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 what I've read and what I've listened to, like you say, a lot of it might come from life experiences, and it, it's quite emotive. And I know that every songwriter is probably different in terms of what they get inspiration on. What what advice would you would you give to anyone if you know maybe they're struggling for for, for inspiration with with writing songs? Um, 
or when I'm driving. That's one of the good things when I when I'm working with Ed because his studio is in Bath, and he really is like my songwriting soulmate. That's why you know we've written so much music together this year. Um, but you know I've got like a three-hour drive to get down there, and I'm playing kinds of music when you know on my way down, and it was it will kind of set me in a certain headspace and and often set the tone. Um, and I think anything that can just get your creative juices going um, in that way, it doesn't have to be a particular life experience necessarily. It, it can really be, you know, and I'm not talking about listening to other people's music and then copying it. It's just about the, the headspace and, and, you know, the kind of mindset that it puts you in um, from listening to certain kinds of music. Often actually, like Spotify don't want to plug them because you know but they've got some really good like, meditation playlists and stuff which um i often play when i'm trying to get my kids to sleep and often they they get me really emotional like if i'm coupling my kids and listening to this stuff it can be really emotional music and, and a lot of that can often get lyrical ideas flowing in my head yeah um i mean i i don't i don't if i write the way that other people write i know a lot of people will start off with a melody and and a solid kind of melody and rhythm and stuff and they'll often work lyrics into that for me, I um, I tend to get inspired by music, so that you know that's why I love writing with Ed because he'll often judge my mood when I walk into the room, and he'll know exactly what I want to hear. It's kind, it's kind of weird, um, and he'll get on the guitar or on the synths or the piano, um, and he'll just start playing some chords um, and stuff. And and usually, I mean, I don't think probably maybe had one session where it hasn't flowed as well as the others, but pretty much always the lyrics will immediately start to flow. And usually within about 15, 20 minutes, I've written the entire song, kind of like a poem, which I'll then sort of work into the, the melody that I want um, for the top line. But, you know, that's how I write, um, more in like a sort of poetic structure rather than yeah. trying to make something work to the music because I'm t- I want to tell a story that's authentic. And yeah. if I'm trying to fit certain words into melodies or rhythms, I find that, you know, it doesn't feel as true to me. Yeah, no, I think I think to be honest, that, that's why I've always really liked it because it, it tells a story and it and it's authentic and it's um I know that it's it's very different in terms of the genre, but some of the artists I list, used to listen to growing up, you people like Lupe Fiasco, for instance, I know that he's obviously more of a, a rapper, but the kind of artists who tell a story and it's more authentic and it's personal you might not always resonate with it but because it's authentic i feel like it's always easier to sell because it's genuine rather than yeah yeah that that's just how i feel anyway as, as the listener for me though that's why i have to do it because it's like music therapy it's like getting stuff off my chest mm. um whether it's something that's happening in my life or whether it's ideas that i'm having that i just want to get off my chest um and uh, like when I haven't written with Ed for a while, I always get like really sort of bit tetchy, and I just <laughs> I've just booked it to go down and write with him this weekend to try to get a, you know a tune or two done for Christmas because I haven't written with him for about three or four weeks now, and I'm like I miss you, I need to come back and write sad music. <laughs> so I'll be going back down. I like the the point that you made around you know. Li- taking a step back and taking inspiration from other artists because one of the main things I noticed from from my Spotify wrapped obviously I'm not someone who releases I just do 
the podcast, but it, it told me about how many new artists that I'd introduced myself to, and I think it was nearly a thousand new artists. And yeah. I feel like, as, especially as um, a singer, songwriter, and especially as a music producer or even a DJ, I know that you know some people will have their own sound or their own kind of style that they'll play, but you know if you're just listening to the same thing over and over again it gets very repetitive and you know you can take inspiration from listening to um Fleur who I manage has just done a really good edit of a Bill Withers track and at first I thought this better be good because it's Bill Withers because you've got to do a track like that justice but you know people now will think oh I'll just do a you know a bit of a generic R&B edit from today whereas the best artists I normally find are from like Back in like the 70s and 80s, I, I read that when you were growing up, they, they were like a lot of the artists that you were inspired by when you were growing up as well. Yeah, my, my dad had a, had a quite a big record collection and it was, I mean, it was really eclectic, but I was used to listening to a lot of, you know, classics and stuff and, um, you know, jazz, musicals, the Beatles, the Eagles, um, Mamas and the Puppets, I mean, all of that. Um, and when I was growing up, I didn't, I was never really into like the kind of pop music that most people my age were listening to. And I'm, and I'm still like that. I mean, my kids get so cross because they just want me to play like Justin Bieber and do a leap. <laughs> um, and I'm always putting Rye X on or like, <laughs> you know, HBOB or, um, but yeah, I guess like all of that has kind of fed in over the years. Um, and I, I think all of that plays a little bit of a, a role in where you end up with your kind of sound and your music. Yeah. Because you absorb everything that you listen to. Um, but that is that is one good thing about Spotify. It's You can find so much amazing music on there, new stuff all the time. And also you can find those smaller artists that are making incredible music, but you might not have ever discovered them if, if you didn't have a platform like that. So you know, it's definitely got its, its pros in that way. Um, they yeah. I don't even think we needed to say that. I think we, you know, that's um, that needed to be said. But yeah, if if anyone from Spotify, if if anyone from Spotify is listening, then then make sure you listen to Liz. Otherwise, you'll uh, you'll have yeah, her to answer to. <laughs> you know, I was la- I was laughing to myself then when you were saying about um, getting your little ones to sleep with like the emotional music, but. I mean, hopefully, that hopefully they realise the older they get how lucky they are. Because at least, if you're trying to put them to sleep, at least they've got a nice singing voice like yours. Because God help my children when they have to listen they to my voice. To <laughs> really? To enough of it. <laughs> no, they don't want to hear it. Shut up, mum. <laughs> I'm sure they'll appreciate it the older they get. Anyway. I hope so. No, my daughter's already started writing lyrics and stuff. It's really cute. She's, she's got a little songbook and she's writing her own songs and she's asking for advice on lyrical ideas and stuff. She's really good. That, that's good. So in terms of the new direction that you're you're going down now, I know when I was doing the introduction, you, you kind of moved across to dance music in 2012 and we've already discussed that you've, you've worked with some of the biggest artists in the scene. But, but what was it for you that made you feel like it was time for a new challenge and to make that crossover and, and, and change your style? Well, I think for me, I started writing songs when I was 
really young, but I never had any confidence in it. And I, I felt frustrated because I, I, I kind of knew how I wanted things to sound, but I, I didn't know how to do, how to translate it onto you know into a song. It, and and that's why I guess why I went off and did jazz for so many years, singing other people's songs, like old songs. Um, but when I got back into top lining. I guess I, I started to find my confidence in writing lyrics and melodies and, and what have you. And then it felt like it wasn't enough. I, I felt really desperate to actually go back into my own kind of stuff um, and finally kind of figure out what, what my sound is. Um, and I mean, I've been writing this album for two years. That's kind of when I really, I think it was two years ago that I said, right, I am going to write an album, <laughs> my album. And, you know, everything that I was working on in the beginning, none of that is, you know, obviously has made the cut now. It's been a real journey and I've discarded a lot. Um, but all of that has been part of the process of kind of getting to where I'm at now. But it was really like at the beginning of this year with some of the stuff I was writing with Ed um, that I just finally got to a point where I felt this is my sound and this is where I feel really comfortable. Not in a way where you just, get stuck in a comfort zone and you're not pushing it but I finally found that I was in a place where it was flowing out of me in a way that was really enjoyable and I was I was managing to translate my thoughts and feelings into something that I felt proud of and that I felt represented me in the right way in terms of you know the kind of person that I am and my character and you know and the first few gigs I did at the beginning of this year, I, I've just been singing at my friend Conrad's Poetry Nights at a little club called Layla in West London and had really good feedback from people. Just, just singing to a small group of people my own songs, that gave me more confidence to keep writing and I felt like I was on the right path. Um, and we, I mean, we literally, about four weeks ago, finished the album with the final song, which is actually... It's a duet, which we we were going to write it together, but then we went back into lockdown, so we had to do it over FaceTime. Um, but it, it worked out really well, and so that's the final track on the 12-track album. Um, and now that that's done, I'm ready to kind of start the next, and obviously that will be um, starting to come out next year. I don't know in what form. If it, I don't know if it will be in the form of an album, maybe eventually, maybe singles. You know how it is. But um, but that will start sort of coming through next year, and I'm like so excited and ready to share that music um, because it's definitely truly representative of me now, um, and it's taken about eighteen years to get to that point. So it's quite a good feeling. No, that that's good, and at least it's nice that you've you've been on that journey and it goes without saying you've obviously got no regrets about you know playing your hand with with house music and doing all those collaborations because you because you have to go on that journey don't you I mean in an ideal world yeah you probably would have preferred that it didn't take 18 years but at this at the same time you know it's nice that you can look back and say you know I've had to go through obviously struggles and the ups and downs yeah. and the learning curves and the journey to, to, to get to where you're at now. Yeah, and I didn't I did, I did really have anything to write about in my early 20s and my late teens. Not really. Not I do, but we won't discuss it. And it's also difficult when you're younger, a lot of people fall into that category of, like, of that sort of pop kind of thing, which has never been me. So I think... I've always listened to much older music, so it makes more sense for me to now be at this point, you know, doing this kind of music, you know, 
which is not obviously that mainstream means it is kind of i guess it's indie pop soul pop whatever i don't know how you would sort of um you know put it in a a genre box (laughs) but it's it's definitely right for me whereas i don't think it ever would have happened in my 20s i don't think i ever would have really got that at that yeah no that that's it's been worth the wait (laughs) what i hope people think it's worth the wait (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i'm sure it will be definitely but um i know that you're based in london and you said at the start was it 18 years ago that you moved to london so Mm. did you originally grow up elsewhere because there was an article that i read where you spent time in the lincoln cathedral choir was that like a scholarship was it yeah i was a yeah i was a choral scholar um and yeah i mean that i loved that time that i loved it I mean, it was like up really early every day, choir practice in a cold room before school every day, even song after school and all of that. But that, I guess that gave me the discipline, like a musical discipline, which is quite different from, you know, anything else, um, just in terms of sight reading and all of that, all the musical theory side, it gave me a really solid, I mean, one thing is you could never be out of tune. If they, you know, when you're rehearsing, if she could hear that someone was out of tune, she'd go around everybody and everybody would be checked to see if they're in tune. <laughs> so you just, you had to be so solid on it. So I'm still really obsessed with tuning. I can't bear out of tune singing. Um, and I'm very critical of myself as well um, with that. Um, but yeah, it was that was a really amazing time being there. Um, was that when you were at school, was it? Yeah, I yeah. was 11 when I joined the choir. Um, and I remember um, the first choral service, uh, choir service for Christmas, and they had the ones from Royal David City. And one of the boys from the boys' choir always had, you know, the first verse solo. But then one of the girls would get the, the fourth verse. And I was 11 years old. I was still a probationer, so I didn't have, like, my full cassock. Um, and they gave me the solo. I was, uh, you know, 800 people in the cathedral. But weirdly, I never used to get nervous then. I have much more adrenaline now. Yeah. I was just thinking, I was just a kid and I was really happy to be chosen um but you know there were lots of amazing um experiences to do with being in the choir and I even entered choir girl of the year once <laughs> <laughs> I still got the recordings of Parnas Angelica um didn't get anywhere with it but um I guess that wasn't my tribute calling <laughs> now that's amazing I, I was really hoping there was going to be a twist where you were going to say there was another girl who got given the part but she conveniently disappeared and then all of a sudden you took the role instead. Under a greystone in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, yeah. j- just on the point of London, because I, a couple of episodes ago I had Alex Mills on. You you probably know Alex, who's done work with... Yeah, I mean, I know. I haven't met her, but she's amazing. Yeah, she's, she's done some work with Daly as well, and I know that she's yeah. based in London. I know that circumstances are different now with COVID, and in terms of... Because of the... The advances in technology it's, it's far more accessible now you know to to send bits to producers but do you feel like taking that leap and moving to london um whether you're in like not necessarily even a vocalist whether it's um like the arts and culture but as a vocalist do you feel like that's still imperative in terms of you know like no. growing or not necessarily no i don't i mean yeah, it's great to be able to get to London easily if there are opportunities. But I don't... You know, London is so expensive these days. It's so expensive. 
Mm. And I don't think you have to always be here amongst it to have the chance these days. You know, I don't, I don't think it's imperative. You know, you can very easily have your own um, recording setups. You don't have to spend a lot of money on it. You can easily get, like we've talked about Instagram and stuff, you can easily get in contact with people to work with them. Um, yeah, when the time is right or if you feel it's right, then, you know, it can be great to kind of then immerse yourself in the scene. But certainly when you're younger, I, I don't think it's, it's any rush to do that. For yeah. me, it was just, I was always obsessed with London. I was itching to get here. I yeah. didn't finish my A levels. I just, you know. <laughs> at least, at least it's turned out. It's, it, at least it's turned out all right for you. All things considered, it goes to show that. Yeah, I, I love the city. I love it. Yeah, it just goes to show that you don't need A levels and you don't need a degree to be successful in life. Clearly, so. No, I don't think you do. I, I, I don't think I. I don't. Sorry, maybe I shouldn't be saying that. <laughs> I certainly feel like with my kids, if they're if they're academic, I'll encourage that. If they're not, I'm not going to push them in a direction that is not for them. I don't think you get the best out of people when you when you push them away from, you know, what their sort of strengths and talents are. Yeah. You've got to give people the opportunity to follow a different path if that's, you know, I just don't think it's. I mean, you're going to get yourself into a load of debt as well with that whole <laughs> sort of path, aren't you? But um, I don't know. For me, it just it never. I never would have gone to uni. I, I did. I did. I did at one point want to go to drama school because I, I used to I used to act as well, um, and then that kind of it fizzled out in my early twenties. I did like a couple of like small BBC things, um, but if I'd have gone anywhere, it would have been drama school. But I don't think I even had the discipline for that, to be honest. Um, so you know, school of life. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least if if you go into politics post music career, I'll definitely vote for you as education secretary because I feel. I've, <laughs> I feel, I feel like we need that mindset instead of everyone feeling like I have to go to uni, I have to be academic because everyone's different and you've There's really got to just... There's pressure on kids these days. Yeah. Really, I don't like it at all. Mm. No, definitely. So, no, I mean, I, I really like the point you made there uh, as well because I think a lot of people do feel like, oh, I have to make the leap and move to London if, if I'm going to be a success. But I think the old cliche of standing outside Virgin or EMI or Ireland with, 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 with an old CD. It's, just, it's, it's not the, the, the case anymore. And I think hopefully for anyone listening, um, will feel that they, they don't necessarily have to, to, to move to London if they feel like they're, they're going to make it and that's the only way that, it, that it's going to happen. So uh, Often, uh, from what I've heard from other people's experiences, it can be, it can be just as good starting to build up a presence in your hometown, just, just gigging and writing your music, getting it out and, and gigging, you know, and networking. And I think the rest can kind of flow from that. I, I don't think there's any reason to be rushing to get to the, the big expensive city, apart from, you know, just you don't want to get yourself into loads of debt. You know, it's not cheap being in London. Um, so, I, you know, I, I think you can be anywhere. You can be in your bedroom making amazing music these days, you know. Yeah. And as we know from lockdown, you don't have to, you know, it's nice to be in the studio with the person you're working with, but you don't have to be. You can still create good music by sending things back and forth. And, you know, that's one thing that is easy to do these days. Yeah, definitely. So I've read that your background is like predominantly jazz and blues when you were growing up and when, when you were developing. I know that it's something you've touched upon a few times as well. Um, and this isn't just from my love 
for the mighty Boosh, but I know that with jazz, um, there's always a lot going on, and it seems like out of most genres, it's one of the hardest to work in. So, do you feel like, in terms of cutting your teeth and really like getting out there, it's not to say that you know you, you have to go and work with jazz or blues because not everyone would want to do it, but do you feel like that? benefited you massively because there's just so much going on and it does require a lot of discipline and and skill yeah i mean well i think you know a lot more skill obviously is required of of the musicians that are that are playing who you know i didn't study jazz i was working with a lot of incredible jazz musicians who probably thought who the hell do you think you are you just want to be a jazz singer and we've just studied at the royal college for four years and you know and i have like such respect for all the musicians i worked with during that time because i was when i started i was way out of my depth but i just loved the music and i wanted to sing it and it you know it took a while to pick it up and get confident with it but once you understand how jazz works you know it's all improvised it's you know you'll perform the same set of songs maybe at four gigs in one week, but it, nothing will sound the same. You know, it's all about eye contact with the, with the people you're performing with. You know, it, it's a case of like looking at the, the bass player. Am I coming back here now or do you want to have a solo, you know? And it, and that, but that's what made it fun. That's yeah, yeah. It, because it was, it was that constant improvisation, which kept it interesting at every gig, even if we were doing a lot of the same songs. Um, and I learned a lot in terms of, performing confidence being on stage and singing songs um you know normally you would rehearse and you get up and perform once you're really solid with something and everyone knows exactly what they're doing but with jazz you know i'd be doing like loads of gigs and i'd turn up to a gig and i'd I'd booked three guys in a trio that i got the numbers from from someone else i worked with because i needed someone last minute and we'd never met before you don't rehearse you give them your charts and you play um but it always kind of worked out. And the other thing with jazz, if you forget the words or if you screw up, you can just pretend that you're improvising. And it's, <laughs> you know, it's okay. So in a way, I kind of found that less daunting yeah. than something really rigid that you have yeah. to stick to. No, yeah, it, more than anything else, it was like it was a performing discipline and, and to really get my confidence up in terms of being on a stage. Yeah, no, that, that's amazing. But in, in terms of like creative flow and making sure your music is as good as it can be um, and full credit to you for always maintaining a high standard. I know that you do a lot of um, songwriting off your own back, but I was intrigued about the relationship that you built with Ali Love because um, obviously I know that this podcast is about you, but I mean, the likes of yourself, but Ali especially back in like 2015, 2016, when I was listening to like Hot Natured, you know, vocalists like Ali, it just completely blew me away. Um, and it's, you know, really nice to see that you formed um, a working relationship and obviously friendship with him as well. Um, was it was it a bit of an impromptu meeting? Because I did read that it was a bit of a random one, wasn't it? How, how you first met. <laughs> it was quite funny, actually. Uh, I, mean, I haven't spoken to Ali for ages, but it, I met him at a party um a couple of years ago two and a half years ago or something and i was going with annabelle my dj partner we were going to festival the next day on the sunday we were just going to go on sunday because um she was writing about it for the evening standard and camel fat were playing and i'd been hanging out with them in ibiza a few weeks before 
So I started going to see them. And then obviously I'd met Ali at this party and I bumped into him the next day outside the hotel everyone was staying in in the countryside. Um, and I said to him, oh, we're going to festival to see a camel fat play. Do you want to come? And he was a bit hungover and drinking Bloody Mary and it took some persuading. And then he was like, yeah, all right, I'll come. So I texted Mike and I was like, by the way, I've kidnapped Ali Love and I'm bringing him to festival. Can you get a mic ready? Um, so we drove him to festival and managed to smuggle him in um, and get him down to the stage where Camel Fat were playing. And, um, and he was really hungover, but we sort of pushed him onto the stage and he ended up singing his track with them live. It was all a bit random, quite funny though. No, we had, that was quite a funny day. Um, all a bit last minute and unexpected. Yeah. They're, they're the adventures. Yeah. I th- we, we were singing a lot together in the car on the way down. Um, and our voices sounded like really nice together. And we said that we'd do stuff, but it took months of, again, bugging him. Um, it's very hard to pin Ali down. He's, um, he's a nutter. Um, <laughs> it took months of bugging him before we actually did any music together. Um, and the stuff we did, I mean, it'll never see the light of day. It was kind of us just like jamming in his kitchen, making like house tunes. But that was when I sort of saw him playing guitar and bass a lot, just like noodling on his guitar in the kitchen. I was like, oh, you do like loads of other stuff other than house. He's like, well, yeah, I started off as a, a session bass player, um, which I thought was quite interesting. And I said, well, look, I'm, I'm, I'm writing for my solo project now, which is not dance music at all. Um, but will you you know write with me um and we ended up writing quite a few songs together um obviously bad love came out you know i don't know what will happen with the other songs um i don't know if it would be right for me to release them now because i kind of it's been part of the journey but i've kind of moved away from it there is there is one that we we actually wrote this time last year um the final song that we wrote together and that was quite a special one um and i quite like to rework that and maybe sort of work that into something for next year um but yeah, it was definitely part of like the songwriting journey. Um, but yeah, it's quite funny still. Like when when you're out with Ali, um, especially if you're in Ibiza, everyone seems to go nuts. Benediction. Benediction. <laughs> um, I think he's probably a bit fed off of it. <laughs> yeah, I suspect he will be. That that will probably be me when when we finally meet in Ibiza. That'll be me saying um, less ordinary, less ordinary. Oh no, I'm fine with that. <laughs> You you won't you won't be when I see you in ten years time and I'm still going on about it at DC ten. <laughs> like yeah, give it a rest now. I've had a fair few releases since then. Can you I'll just move on? Yeah, that is true. I think to be honest. I'll, I'll always be going to DC ten. Yeah, I was gonna say you, you you're never too old. Like one of the main guys at the bank who I work with them. Um, Deep down, he loves house music because he's got four kids and a missus. His missus is trying to tell him that he's too old for a beat. I'm like, mate, you need to get rid of your missus by the sounds of things. You can't... kids love house music. They love it when I put bangers on. <laughs> they're really into it. They're Class. Really into it. When they're older and they're going clubbing, I'll probably be trying to tag along. And I'll be like, no, mum! <laughs> <laughs> but um, there's just a couple of more questions because I, I do appreciate you, you have got a life outside of this podcast. and I, I have... don't, actually. <laughs> Oh, the holiday. And I'm just in a, in a quiet flat. <laughs> I was planning to, well, I'm really gutted because the only like party party I had for Christmas 
was tomorrow Yusuf and Bontan were coming down to play Night Tales. And we were going to all go for dinner. And then, and I was so excited to go and like, even if it's socially distanced, go and have a dance. And then obviously we went back into lockdown today. So I, th- I think um, Andrew's really gutted. Um, that was going to be fun. But I guess we'll just have to wait till next year now. I'm just going to stay in my pyjamas until the new year. Yeah. So if you're watching, if you're watching Boris, thanks for that. Because Liz was really looking forward to that tomorrow night. Liz needed a rave. <laughs> But, um, the next point I wanted to come on to was um, the importance of, you know, like promoting your releases properly and like coming back to what we were saying around Spotify, because I know that it is difficult, especially like if even if you're really determined and you're passionate, because nowadays there's just so much you have to do as an artist. Like never mind, yeah. you know, writing the songs, then singing it and producing it and getting it all together. Yeah. Then you have to execute a decent like strategy for, for your promotion as well but um in terms of like making the biggest impact in such a competitive market and and clearly it helps that obviously you know you work with respected artists you'll have a good team around them and you know it, it, in terms of the the promo it'll be backed well but um i just wondered if you had any advice and even though people's operating rhythm is different what what's worked for you so far in terms of promoting yourself like really well whether it's self-promotion or maybe on on a label as well i mean it's 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 hard it's really hard and obviously i have had that um comparison because i've been i've been releasing stuff this year through respected labels that have their own you know pr companies they're working with like listen up or your army or you know and then you've got this whole team around you making stuff happen and that's that's incredible but you know obviously if you're an up-and-coming artist like me i haven't had the budget for that kind of thing Mm. um i did hire um a pr to help me with both of the releases but i had a very small budget and it was more just about trying to get a little bit of press or reviews of the, of the tracks, you know, to help get a bit more credibility. I think, you know, obviously, as we all know, Spotify playlists and stuff can, can really make or break a release, and you don't have a lot of control over that. You know, it's mainly the, the labels that will get um, attention when they're pitching releases for editorial playlists. Yeah. So you've got to then try and um get on the influencer playlist and stuff and try and and try and sidestep that and there, there are actually lots of really good websites you can use i um submit hub and daily playlist and then you've got things like playlist push which you do have to pay for and it's a bit of a risk because you're paying to submit your track yeah. to curators but you have no idea if they're going to be feeling your music so you you know i have had the instance um where i've i've submitted stuff and you're getting a lot of rejection and you're not getting the numbers that you think you're going to get. Yeah. Um, but music is completely subjective. So, you know, it shouldn't dishearten you. It just might be that you're submitting to the wrong playlist. But yeah, you you just got to be really proactive. I also noticed when I was doing my own research um, in the summer, because I am really proactive with that stuff and I've had to be, um, you know, there are a lot of guides out there that you can get that and and... You, I mean, yeah, you have to pay for them, but I, I remember seeing um, one contact list. You, you could buy a, a sort of a book, an online book, which had a lot of current um, contacts for playlists and for smaller radio stations and all of that. It's just important.
important to get your music to as many people as possible however you can do that using every platform that's on offer yeah it's time consuming but it can pay off and if you've got a good song um you know then it just takes one decent playlist to pick it up or you know or radio um and i think as well like we were talking about earlier with networking don't be afraid to use the contacts that you have ask people for help Mm. you know people like to help up and coming artists if they believe in them you know I, i said to i was working on a track with danny howard earlier this year and um obviously because of that we were then in touch um and he'd, um, he'd asked me to do the Radio 1 eye dance for his new show during lockdown. And I was, you know, he was like, can I ask you a favor? But I was like, it's not a favor. It's great to have any kind of work right now. Um, and then sort of after that, obviously, we were in touch. And so when my first singles were coming out, I said, look, if you don't want to do it or you don't like the music, no worries. But if you're feeling these tracks, could you try and get it to BBC introducing for me? Because obviously everyone's uploading stuff, but actually getting it heard and getting it played is another thing. Yeah. Um, so he said, look, you know, I can't promise anything, but I can I can try and get it heard for you. Um, and, and funnily enough, both of the singles that were coming out then didn't get played. They actually played other demos. She obviously went through and listened to my other stuff. Yeah. Just to get any of my own music played on BBC London introducing was like mind-blowing for me. Yeah. Um, and if I hadn't asked Danny um, to try and get my stuff heard, it wouldn't have happened. Um, so it's all about going out and, and just like giving it your best shot and you know, pushing it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Back to them having confidence in, in what you're actually pushing. Yeah. Um, now, there's, there's some great pieces of advice there, and it's something that I discussed with Sawley a couple of months ago on uh, one of the previous podcasts that I did with him, was the reality is, I mean, you know, it, it's great that you've got a contact like Danny Howard, but, you know, there's a lot of people that will be like, oh, I want to get my music heard by Pete Tong, Annie Mack, Danny Howard, etc. But, you know, the the level of music they receive is, you know, it's it's massive. They get... Way, there are ways to do that as well, because um, I can't remember his name. Um, the guy that produces, it's terrible, I can't, I'm terrible with names, but he produces Annie's show. Yeah. And I uploaded one of my solo singles to... I think it was via Submit Hub because you can get hold of their email addresses on these websites. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I was lucky because he recognised my name from Less Ordinary because Annie had played that. So obviously he, and he obviously knows Mav. Um, and and then, you know, the track didn't get played, but at least I, I had a way to then get it in front of the right people. Yeah, of course. You've just got to like, to really you've got to go for it and dig in with that kind of stuff yeah and that's the thing at least you're on their radar as well but what one of the things i was saying to sorely was you know initially you know you might not get heard by um even the producers who you know help with the likes of annie and and pete etc but you know, even just by submitting your tracks to um bbc introducing like fleur who i managed has had a couple of plays from jaguar um on bbc <laughs> introducing and and she's you know yeah. one of the main DJs coming through now on on BBC Radio. So I th- I think that some people, not necessarily in BBC Introducing London, because you know it's so competitive in London. Even being on, in Introducing is such a big thing. Yeah, so but but in in like other regions, even like Introducing Shropshire, for instance, where I'm originally from, some people yeah. might think, oh well, I'm, I'm not getting a play on there because it's it's so small. But 
you know you have to start from somewhere and they, and they all they're all in this they're all in the same circles as well so you know if you consistently get plays sooner or later your name will be seen you know more and more oh, yeah. and, and you don't know what it's going to lead to I mean, with BBC introducing, getting on any BBC introducing station anywhere in the country is going to help. I don't think it matters where it is. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the most important things is to keep putting music up there. Um, you know, you've got to be in it to win it. So you've just, you've just got to push your music in all directions that you possibly can. Yeah, I, definitely. I never used to be like that. I, you know, but I've learned it will not come to you. You have to go and get it. Mm. It's the, you know, it's the only way you've even got a shot because there will always be someone else out there that is more hungry than you. You know, that's how you have to look at it. And if you're not hungry for it, if you're not obsessed with it, I mean, the first thing I think about when I wake up in the morning is my music and where am I at right now? And what do I need to do today? And, you know, how am I going to keep pushing? You know, it keeps me awake at night and it wakes me up in the morning. And if you're not like that, you have to remember there will be other people out there that are. Yeah. You know, that's, that's how hard it is. No, absolutely. But when you were just saying before as well that, um, you know, um, credit to you as well with how well some of the releases have done and, and the streams, even though you might not have had, um, you know, a, a substantial amount uh, in, in terms of PR compared to some artists with, with, with who they're going with. But one thing that, that I noticed personally is there's, there's no harm with going with an up-and-coming label, but if you're releasing on a label that's literally... Some people have coined the term like lockdown label, um, and there's no harm with starting a record label in lockdown, you know, because people have more time. Um, but, you know, the, the, there's some people, and I'm sure that it's only a very small amount, you know, might have started a record label in lockdown maybe not realizing just how much work actually goes into running a record label and how to properly push a record so there might be some artists who they've got a really good track they end up signing it to an up-and-coming label who with all due respect don't really have the knowledge in terms of how to you know properly push a record how to execute a, a solid strategy and it's not always about investing hundreds and hundreds of pounds into into pr because like you say there are other ways of doing it, but you also have to be mindful. If you're releasing on a label that's literally just started out and their contact list isn't that big, they haven't really got much exposure, you can't expect to be hitting all continents of the globe like you would be if you were releasing on Knee Deep in Sound or yeah, Defected or, or anyone else. So you kind of have to accept yourself if you release on a label that's only literally just started and, and those people are still learning themselves how to run a label. You can't expect to be hitting a million streams with your first release on Spotify. It's just it's no, not realistic. And, and, that's, and, and streams on Spotify is also certainly not the way to judge success of a release as well. Yeah, it's true. It's really important, you know, not to get bogged down about that kind of stuff. Um, you know, especially when you're first starting out. I mean, you know, with my alias Pablo Rita, we just started releasing um, this year. And some of our records, even on, you know, really respected labels, because of the genre of music as well, they're not getting anything close to some of the streams with some of the stuff I've done that's more commercially vocal house or what have you. So I just, I, I really don't think that that's the way to look at it. But what I will say with labels is when you are choosing a label for your sorry, my phone keeps falling because I told you. When you're um, choosing a label for your release, 
do your research, talk to other artists if you can that have released on that label, because I, I, I know many names, but I've certainly had some releases um, where you know that they're not giving it the love it deserves and they're not pushing it. And it's not even necessarily so much about contact. Um, you know, I think that it's important to just make sure that you know the guys releasing your record are really going to push it because they love it and they believe in it rather than just wanting to shove it out there you know downloaded for richington <laughs> yeah i've definitely seen a few of those before i remember an artist a couple of years ago had it was quite a commercial house tune on it was on one of the armada labels and bless the artist said oh my god i've just had downloaded for r horton and i didn't have the heart to say well funnily enough i don't think he's going to be playing a commercial banger in there Yeah, yeah. From him, he's incredible, incredible. And Crosstown Rebels have been great as well. Um, and we've got an, something else coming out with them in the new year. Um, you know, they're they're obviously a wicked label. But yeah, you know, it, it it's not necessarily about a, the name, and but it's just make sure that you're going to get as much love from the label as the love that you've put into your record. Yeah. It's just really disheartening. When you get really excited about something, it just goes sort of, you know, but it is all part of, you know, the learning as well. And you just have to keep, keep going at it. Yeah, definitely. So I'm sure that, you know, you've got a good team around you. I know that, um, you said you work with Ed Graves, like the producer, and obviously with with the amount of time you've been doing it obviously you know you, you've got your head screwed on and you've had the the riding the learning curves and the waves along the way but it was something that i discussed with alex mills previously um because it's something that i'm always mindful of um and you know it, it, it's not just with with women but it goes to males as well but you know you'll probably say firsthand and i don't like to to, to to label the whole female artist because I just see an artist as an artist, but we both know that it still goes on when you've got a, a talented up and coming female in particular, there are certain people in the industry who will try and take advantage of that and think, you know, oh yeah, I'm gonna get something out of this um, artist and maybe they're not gonna get a slice of what they really deserve. Um, whether that's, you know, the contribution that you've made with your songwriting or your vocals on a track. so. Um, yeah. What advice do you, yeah? What what advice do you have for anyone who's maybe up and coming who might not have you know like management or have that experience on how they can protect themselves as an artist and get really what what they deserve from their contribution to a track? Well, I mean, I it does depend what you are contributing because that you know there are top lines like full top lines and then sometimes you are just doing maybe a bit of chat so. So really look at it in that way and sort of analyze what is my contribution and then make sure that what you're getting is fair. Now, there are obviously occasions where, 
you know, you'll be you'll be working with someone who is like your dream person to work with. And I've had that this year where I've just, you know, I mean, if Daly had contacted me in February and said, right, I want your vocals, but I'm not going to credit you and you're not going to get anything, I probably would have said, okay, I want to work with you. Um, I'm not advising you do that because I, obviously I didn't do that. But I'm just saying sometimes you might make um, allowances if, if, if the, you know, if, if who you're working with, if it could really do something for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because I've had instances where I'm like, okay, I'll take a bit less because I know that this is going to get my numbers up and it's <laughs> going to, you know, it's going to help in that way. And obviously that is a value as well. Yeah. But where I'm at now, I would like, I would never do that. I don't care who you are because it's really important to know your worth and know what you're contributing. And I, and I, I've been trying to, I'm, I'm by no means at a stage of, of being ready to release anything, but I've been trying to learn how to produce in Logic for the last couple of years, um, and I'm not very good. Um, but I, I now have a sense of the time and effort um, that goes into production. You know, a top liner can come in and sort of write something. And sometimes it will take a while if it's not flowing, but usually if it's not flowing, it's because it's not quite right for you. But I, I do understand why producers might have that view of, well, you know, I'm putting the hours in and you're not. But for me at this point, I'm like, okay, well, you've been producing for four years and I've been like writing music and singing and honing my craft for 18 years. So I'm bringing value in a different way and you have to look at it like that as well. But I think, you know, generally I just go in and it's, like it's a 50-50 split, you know, unless I'm, I'm really not contributing that, that much of the top line and then, yeah. you know. But I think you should definitely go in with that. Um, and also don't be, don't be bullied or intimidated. I'm not managed at the moment. Um, I left my management at the beginning of this year and I, I said to myself, I'm not going to... I've been approached by managers, but I'm until I get my dream manager, mm. I'm happy to wait. Yeah. So with all of these releases I've been having, obviously I've been dealing with these big DJs, managers and stuff. And, you know, luckily I've, I've been dealing with really nice people, mm. but I can see how easy it would be for an up-and-coming female top liner to feel intimidated um, and not feel that she can stand her ground. Because yeah. I, I was definitely like that before. Um, and sometimes it's easier to come across as being a bit of a bitch when you're actually just standing your ground. Yeah, you've, you've, you've got to stand your ground. This is what I want and this is what I deserve. It's like, okay, if it's me doing it, then it's like, oh, you're being a bit of a grabby bitch. You know what I mean? Um, so I think, you know, look at, look at the situation on a case-by-case basis and see what, what this collaboration is actually doing for you. Yeah. Um, and if, if, if you're not being offered what you should be, but you know it's going to really help elevate your career, then it's up to you to decide if you want to do that. Yeah, of course. As long as you feel like you're doing it for you, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Now, once again, there's, there's some amazing points there, and it kind of echoes what, what Alex said previously, is, for instance, if you had someone like Diplo approach you and said, do you fancy collaborating, you're probably not going to... <laughs> you're probably not going to turn around and say no sorry that that's my offer and if not because you know although in the short run yes you might have to take a little bit of a loss or reduction compared to what you would you would normally accept or yeah. you know value yourself at but in the long run 
the exposure that you'd get off working an artist of, of that caliber would be absolutely yeah. it would would be massive um, and, and it's one thing that me and my business partner try and say is I know that you said you don't have management and you know obviously you've got a lot more experience you, you stand you stand your ground now a lot more than you might have done in, in the early days of your career but I do feel like there's a lot of people in the industry that will get sent a contract and they won't have any idea what the clauses are or the terms and conditions and they will literally just do the generic thing they'll scroll to the bottom and sign it and you don't even know what you've signed and I feel like people just need to slow down a bit more even if you need to even if you need to refer it to someone who you know for instance um I think we use BlackRock for our publishing and you know there's a lot of good publishing companies out there who that's what that's what their expertise is they know how to dissect a contract and look at what the clauses are the the, the best thing i did this year was get a music lawyer yeah yeah i I would have a a music lawyer over a manager at the moment well you know i've I've actually i went back to the music lawyer that i had when i was 18 (laughs) um and i sort of got back in touch with them this year um very surprised to hear from me (laughs) but they've been invaluable and and things that you just wouldn't know to look for that look legit but then when it's really broken down for you like oh no i don't want to sign that and just minor changes obviously you know for smaller contracts for smaller i know you're probably not going to make any money out of it i don't think it's as much as of a worry and yes just any basic advice that you can get from someone even if it's like a producer friend that's, that's done a lot of releases himself and he knows a few things to look out for um but yeah it's definitely something to be careful of yeah definitely Vanessa, thank you for that. And then one of the most predictable questions I'm sure you've been asked a, a ridiculous amount of times is if you could collaborate with one artist who's dead um, and one artist who's alive, who would you choose? Ooh. Well, right X, living and breathing, and maybe one day. Actually, we message each other on Instagram sometimes, and I was like, when I come to LA, please, please, can I... <laughs> but I don't know that happened. Um, maybe he thinks I'm a weird stalker. Um, <laughs> I my tunes and I was like, oh my God, write X to my music. Um, he would be my absolute dream to sing with um, and write with. Um, dead? Ooh. Probably, um, I'd probably go back to like the jazz and the person that made me fall in love with jazz and that'd be Sarah Vaughan. Mm. Best jazz singer ever lived for me. Anyway, um, her vibrato and phrasing is just like stunning. I'd love, yeah, I would have loved to have met her, seen her perform, or yeah, collaborate with her. That'd be insane. Imagine sharing a stage with Sarah Vaughan. <laughs> no, definitely. So with things hopefully looking a lot more positive going into 2021, I know you said in terms of releases, you've got some things in the pipeline, which obviously you you can still do behind the scenes. Um, can you give us a sneak peek in, into anything else that you've got coming up? I know there's something we've discussed, which I haven't even I haven't even told my gran about it, which which shows how trustworthy I am because I tell my gran everything, so I haven't even told her. I've been dying to scream about it before Christmas, and it's gonna have to be like New Year news now. It's just, but it's a nice way to start the new year next year. But yeah. I'm just like I'm terrible at keeping secrets, so it's like, it's killing me not being able to talk about it. Um. I mean, in terms of what, there's a lot of good stuff happening with Pablo Rita. Um, we've got we've got a radio show starting in January on Select, um, and it's kind of the brainchild of Annabelle. Um, 
she's come up with this bunker beats idea which is kind of like desert island discs but sort of interviewing djs about that you know what would you take down to the bunker if you were you know so we'll be starting a two-hour show it'll be every saturday um at midday um i'm kind of terrified about it but she's the one in control um (laughs) so we're sort of prepping for that now um and um yeah and then releases with pablo rita and then obviously like my my main focus which I can't really talk too much about how it's going to come out into the world, but it's focusing on prepping for like the album um, next year. Um, and yeah, and, and still doing collaborations. I was, I saw Hannah once commented earlier because I just, I just, she sent me some beautiful music yeah. um, a few weeks ago and we've, we've written a really gorgeous track. She's quite, I mean, obviously, you know, she plays house and techno and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like her stuff has that real kind of soul and melancholy side to it that I really love to write yeah. to. I also did, I did a lot with Matador during lockdown. He sent me a lot of beautiful music and I think some of that will sort of be happening early next year. I'm, I'm not sure what the exact plan is with it. Um, yeah. But um, also he's... Um, He's so wicked. He's remixed one of the tracks on my album. He's done a, like a beautiful big remix of one of the tracks. So I'm really excited about that. Um, yeah, and just just I just keep working on on sort of you know collaborative things that get sent my way. You know how it is with the stuff. Some of it comes into the world, some of it doesn't. But I just have to keep writing to keep me sane. Yeah. But at, at the moment, my release schedule next year is looking a bit insane I'm not actually <laughs> really sure it's a good job I can move a lot over to Pablo because otherwise it would, it would just be nuts um, but there's going to be a lot of music coming out next year um, yeah just because of like all the writing this year so it's yeah <laughs> everyone's going to be sick of me I'll be <laughs> no I look I look forward to hearing it and uh, it was weird actually because when I was trying to look for a press shot for you I noticed that Hannah liked one of your photos and uh i was i was at her house last week um yeah fleur went on tour with her uh last year i uh, know this year and last year as well um and, it, and it's funny because when i first started going raving like six years ago i used to watch her and then last week you social bubble having a drink at her house and you think fucking yeah. hell it's 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 funny how things turn out but yeah i'm looking forward to uh to hearing that as well
I will say I, I finally took a leap and booked flights for Burning Man. I don't know if I'm ever going to have the guts to do that again. And now it didn't happen. It's sort of, we'll see. But I'm it, sure it, it happened. It out to be the year I thought it would. Yeah. But the upside is music has been yeah. really good. I can, I, to be fair, I could see you performing at Burning Man in a couple of years' time. You've, you've got that, you've got that cool, edgy look. Yeah, yeah, no, you've got that cool, edgy look to you with your stars, so oh, I can I definitely... I'm <laughs> but no, I think that that's pretty much everything. Um, I think it's probably the longest podcast I've done, but the conversation oh, was... Sorry, is it because I've been, like, waffling? No, 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 to be honest, I, I was... It's like verbal diarrhoea, and I can't... You just have to stop me. No, no, not at all, because, I mean, everything we've discussed flowed naturally, and it, it's been beneficial. It's not like you went off on a massive tangent discussing the holiday and Uber Eats or anything like that. I can talk about delivery and Uber Eats. That also got me through this year. <laughs> but no, I just want to say I really appreciate your time um, and hopefully oh, thank you for inviting me it's, ho- it's been really nice to um, to break up you know Netflix with you know a live podcast interview <laughs> <laughs> make my my lockdown a bit more interesting no definitely but I'm sure we'll I, I suspect the first place we'll cross paths will be either at DC10 or a rave in London so I look forward to that in 2021 definitely nice one <laughs> Definitely, but no, uh, take care of yourself and uh, see you soon. Thank you so much, Callum. Thank you. See you. Bye-bye. Same to you. Bye-bye. Take care.